be seated for some announcements and then we'll come back and we'll do some more singing. Good morning. Welcome to our worship service today. We want to welcome our first time visitors. That, uh, if you're here, ask that you would sign the uh, guest book in the foyer. Just a little information. Uh, just turn the house up just a little. I think that's the, the, the issue is the, the house. Uh, we had a great conference this past week with some excellent teaching from the book of Galatians. Uh, we were blessed by many of the speakers. Uh, I know Tuesday night I wasn't able to be here, but I was watching some of the services on YouTube. And Bill and Lynn did uh, Deeper Than the Stain and knocked it out of the park, guys. I was like old times. I mean, that was great. Uh, but then just... Wonderful, wonderful teaching and singing and praising of the Lord. Uh, CDs and DVDs will be available shortly. Uh, we're going back and editing a little bit uh, to clean them up some. But uh, if you'd like a request for the CD or DVD copy of the, all the messages that were brought, just fill out a request slip in the box in the foyer. Just be sure and mark whether you want CDs or DVDs or both. Uh, either way, we'll get them made up for you. Uh, the recordings can also be watched on one of the three internet platforms that we use, uh, Ustream, YouTube, or Sermon Audio. Uh, we also had a great time of fellowship and food. And on behalf of the elders and deacons, we want to thank all of you who prepared food, who brought food, and who helped us, helped us out. Um, I personally want to say thanks to the guys, and uh, Joe Moran, Larry Smith, Todd Horton, Ken Humphreys, that helped us out in the booth. Um, there's a couple of little quirks, but we worked through them. And I was uh, very diligent in making sure that the broadcast was worthy of the Lord, and we're greatly appreciative of that. Uh, Joe and Beth Moran are traveling for a few days. We ask that you lift them up before the Lord for traveling mercies. 
Our brother Todd Horton will also be traveling this week to Wisconsin, so we ask that you be in prayer for him for traveling mercies as well. Uh, we praise the Lord that a recent bladder biopsy for George Bishop uh, was good. Uh, he's had to have, an, he's to have another one in about five weeks. We ask that you lift him up before the Lord for that. Uh, we also want to continue to pray for his singles pain that still seems to be right at about a level five. Also, Patricia Jackson, amongst uh, her other pain, is also suffering from pancreatitis. Uh, her pain in both her back and shoulders is unchanged. Uh, she continues to undergo physical therapy for a post-operative shoulder surgery. Uh, Wallace Haddon uh, is not doing well. We ask that you'd be sure and lift him up before the Lord. She's suffering from some depression. Uh, we ask that the Lord be with him as well as wife Mary as she ministers to his needs. I want to continue to remember and lift up uh, and praise the Lord for Tom Prince as he's doing better, as well as for Judy Barton as she continues to recover from her surgery. Also, we want to lift up uh, Sue Martin's uh, family of her 53-year-old niece, Patty, who passed away recently. I ask that you'd remember that family before the Lord. Also for Carl Perry's brother Bobby, who's being diagnosed with throat cancer uh, that has spread to his liver. Also, we ask that the church continue to pray for Jaya McCarthy, uh, who is also battling cancer, and her mom, Deborah, who ministers to her needs. Uh, continue to remember uh, Judy Petri and Calvin as he daily ministers to her. Also, we praise the Lord and thank that Joe Turner's sister, Debbie, uh, had a good report on her last round of tests. I want to continue to remember Shirley Murphy as she... Uh, Struggles with a torn rotator cuff, and ask that you be in remembrance of her. Also for uh, Howie Smith as he continues to serve in the military. Uh, and in light of the recent conference this past week and the uh, food that we had and, and pre prepared and brought for that, uh, we will not have our fellowship dinner this coming Sunday. So we'll have that again this, uh, in August. Also, we ask that if you would like to make a donation to the church, there's an offering box in the foyer uh, that was located. We did find missing offering box. We had hid it from ourselves. So often is the case, right? Especially for me. Um, but it's been located and is now back on the table. So, is there any further announcements we need to make? Nope. All right. We'll continue with some songs. I guess I will say one other quick thing I forgot to tell you, Dale. Um, if you, you guys could also remember Elizabeth Tassone, uh Danny and Amy's little girl. This week she was uh, cooking with her, her mama, and she knows not to touch the stove, but we had one of those situations where the stove was hot and she put her hand right on the, on the eye. She's got a burn all over her palm. So they've been dealing with that <clears throat> the last few days. So if y'all would remember her, that's a good lesson, but ooh, a painful one. So we're going to sing... Uh, 497, 497, when I can read my title clear. If you'd like to use your hymnal, it's 497, it's up on the board. When I can read my title clear, mansions in the sky. Smile. 
If you're just visiting us this week, we want to say welcome again, and we love the old hymns in this body. We believe that there's a heritage we get from all this music, and we get to look back and see what the saints of old went through. So there's something missing, we think, when we don't sing these hymns. So we do a little bit of old and a little bit of new, but can we stand up? The haven of rest. The haven of rest. If you could turn this down in monitor two, I think it's... My soul in sad exile was out on life's sea, so burdened with sin and distress, until I heard a sweet voice saying, Jesus is Lord, and I entered the haven of rest. I I'm safe evermore I yielded myself to his tender embrace in faith taking hold of his word my fetters fell off and he anchored my soul the haven
Though the tempest may sweep O'er the wild stormy deep In Jesus I'm safe evermore Verse 4 Oh, come to the Savior He patiently waits I'm sorry sing that chorus. I've anchored my soul in the haven of rest. I'll sail the wild seas no more. And though the tempest may sweep or the wild stormy deep, in Jesus I'm safe evermore. I'll sing the chorus again with me without the instruments. Let's just hear it with our voices. I've anchored my soul in the haven of rest. I'll sail the wild seas no more. And though the tempest may sweep or the wild stormy deep, in Jesus I'm safe evermore. Amen. Thank you. Let the Lord's people say praise the Lord. If you could remain standing, I know Pastor and Miss Lynn have a good song for you. I don't think we can sit down for this one, so <laughs> I'll leave you standing up so you don't have to stand again. That's one of my favorite songs. The Haven of Rest. All right, well, we're going to sing an old song and have a request this morning. So let's get it up on the board, Mark. No, no, that's not the song, brother. I don't know what uh, what's going on up there. What manner of man is this? Ready? What manner of man is this who died upon the tree? What manner of man is this who said the captives free? He walked upon the water and he calmed the raging sea. What manner of man is this? All right, let's sing that again. Ready? What manner of man is this who died upon the tree? What manner of man is this who set the captives free? Called him Emmanuel, prophets call him a stone. The angel called him Jesus before he was born. The world upon his shoulder, he was walking all alone. And he was seen coming from those What manner of man is this? 
coming as a wheel in a wheel. And old John, he talked about him in the book of Seven Seals. Paul gave his description. He said he's brighter than the sun. And if you don't know his name, Lord, you had better run. Tell me what manner of man is this? He died. He died on the tree. Tell me what manner of man is this? the captain free. He said the captain is free. Walked in the water. He walked upon the water. And he calmed the raging sea. What manner of man is this? Who gave his life for me? Thomas, doubt me no more. See these holes in my side. Behold, I am your savior. By Peter, Christ denied. And now that I am risen, and all power in my hand. sit still because he loves to he loves to dance a little bit uh, and some of y'all back there too Lawrence is y'all back there <laughs> dancing that's great all right I've got some special guests here and I know they don't want to be embarrassed but I have a nephew that's from Texas and his family Georgetown Georgetown he is the principal of a middle school elementary school, a brand new elementary school, and uh, he's straightening them up. His name's Jacob, and his wife is named Carly. That's a precious helpmeet for him. And then there's Jenny, there's Marilyn, and Elsie. And they're all sitting right there, so y'all make them welcome. Yeah. He is my sister's only son, and she waited to the very end. She has Five kids, and he's the last one. <laughs> and and uh, she thought she was going to have all girls, you know. And then Jacob came, and he's a precious Christian. He's a, he's a um, song leader. What do you call yourself? Huh? Used to be more. Well, I know he plays guitar. Yeah, he plays guitar. That. He sings. He's a praise leader. I think that's what, is that right? No. Okay. Well, anyway, he leads the music in one of those churches out there. What's the name of the congregation there? 
That's right, Terra Nova. And Zach's uh, family, Zach that was here for the conference, yeah. his mother and dad used to go to that church and went to their Bible yeah. study. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's a so We're biblical world. today. We got a couple of Jacobs and two Joshuas. <laughs> I'll tell you that. So we, we ought to be able to worship the Lord. So good to see all of you. We still have people who are coming back after the coronavirus, even though this okay. church, we may have been the first one in Williamson County to uh, come back and begin assembling again. Uh, so we're glad to see all of you, and I want you to encourage others. I've spoken to some this week on the phone. Some of them are having to watch uh, their elderly parents. Uh, I was think, talk, thinking about Steve Cothran. I would, would like for you to pray for Steve. He has a dad that's 93 years old, and uh, he and his brother have to take turns watching his, uh, his father. So pray, pray for them. And take note of those who are missing, and let them know that you miss them. Call them and uh, pray for we them. We want to welcome uh, Car uh, Carla and Stephanie also right here. Those are, those glad are to have Sue's you. nieces. Okay, glad she to have you. She wants to take a bath. Glad to have you. <laughs> By the way, thank you for mentioning that, Lynn. We are circulating this morning one of our We Are Praying For You cards. Sue's brother, Ken, Ken Cole, recently lost his 53-year-old daughter only about a week or so ago. And then it's been like, what, a year, two years that he lost his wife. So we are going to send him a We Are Praying For You card to try to encourage him. So even though you don't know Ken, I think that card is out there on the table when you come in. Please write a little something. Anything you want to write, you can write on any side, inside, outside, back, front or quote a scripture or whatever, just write, we're praying for you. But do that, and uh, let's, uh, we're going to mail that to Ken this week. And also we're glad to have Josh on the slide guitar. Yeah. <laughs> we are glad. That's why I said we had two Joshua's and, and a Jacob. Do you know what I said? And my son. Okay. And my All right, now we're going to have to ask you to stand one more time, and I'm going to let you remain standing. Standing on the promises, if you've got a hymnal in front of you, it's page 175, 175. Standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages let His praises ring. Glory in the highest, I will shout and sing. Standing on the promises of God.
seek the Lord here and I'll sing our song of asking him to help us as we study his word. By the way, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12, that's where we're going to begin. just a moment. We're going to begin today in Genesis chapter 12. Let me ask you a brief question. How in the world did Isaac become the son of Abraham? The scripture says that he was promised to Abraham. As Paul said to the church in Galatia, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 28, by the way, a church composed mostly of Gentiles. And he said to them, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. Now Joseph, the person we're using for this series of studies, Joseph was the son of Jacob, who was the son of Isaac, who was the son of of Abraham. So today we're going to look at Joseph as a type of sons of promise. Genesis chapter 12, we're going to do a little responsive reading now. If you're in Genesis chapter 12, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And this is your part. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great. Maybe that's too small for you to read. And thou shalt be a blessing. And the people said, And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curses thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word, and let God's people say praise the Lord. 
and you may be seated. All of these men, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, were divinely called by the Lord. You know, when you read the Scripture, you learn that Abraham was an Ur of the Chaldees, that his father was an idol maker. His father made little idols and images. So we ask the question, how in the world did Abraham come to know the true and the living God? The only answer can be, God came to him, and God revealed himself to him. The Lord, the God of Abraham, revealed himself to him, and the Lord called it. Now this man we're considering, Joseph, as I say again, Joseph was the son of Jacob, who was the son of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham. And it was to Abraham that three important things happened. And I'm going to mention these several times this morning. Number one, the Lord revealed himself to him. Number two, according to these verses, the Lord commanded him to leave his home. And number three, he had to walk by faith to a land that would be shown him. So the Lord the God of all creation, revealed himself to Abraham, commanded him to leave his home, to leave his country, to leave his kindred, his father's house, and to walk by faith to a land that would be shown him. Now that land that was promised to Abraham has forever been known as the promised land. Most of us have heard of the promised land since we've been children. If you grew up in a church-going family or went to church every once in a while, you probably sang the song that we've just done, Standing on the Promises, or maybe the other one, I'm bound for the promised land. But I doubt, I doubt that you ever really thought about where that concept of promises originated. And this is very important. I want to share right now a foundational revelation of the Bible with you. And if you grasp this revelation, you will have entered into a holy place. You will have taken a giant leap forward in understanding the Almighty God, the God of Scripture, His Son, and the Gospel. In fact, this revelation is the very basis upon which the gospel of Jesus Christ stands. Therefore, it is the foundation of our faith, of our hope of eternal life. Without it, we have no gospel, we have no salvation, we have no hope. And the revelation is this. The Word of the living God is built upon promise fulfillment promise fulfillment. That is, the God of Scripture is a God who makes promises, and He fulfills the promises He makes. Whether those promises are good or ill. Adam, of all the trees of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, don't eat of that. If you eat of that tree, 
you will surely die. He didn't tell him twice, did he? He told him one time. Adam ate of the tree, and what happened? I promise you, if you eat of this tree, you're going to die. You're surely going to die. Now, he lived hundreds of years, but he died right then spiritually. He had been filled with God, and when he disobeyed, the Spirit of God withdrew himself, and he's filled with self. He'd been God-conscious, but when he sinned against the Lord, now he's self-conscious, and we're still self-conscious to this day. As I pointed out to you before, if you have a group picture, and you're in it, and they give you a group picture and say, look at this, the first person you look for in the group picture is yourself. <laughs> That's because we're still, we're still self-conscious. So death, the principle of death, set into Adam. He died spiritually, and eventually his, his body died. And that was a result of a command to promise and the fulfillment of it. The entire Bible is built upon this revelation of promise fulfillment. The message of the prophets is built upon this revelation. Both the Old and New Testament scriptures stand or fall upon this great revelation of promise fulfillment. And I'll say again, if you can get a hold of this, you will have taken a giant leap forward in your understanding of the Bible and of the God who's revealed therein. So let me say it again. When the Lord called Abraham, when the Lord revealed himself to Abraham, when the Lord commanded Abraham to leave his country and go to a land that would be shown him, let me ask you this question. What did Abraham have as security? He had nothing but the Word of God in the form of a promise. Now, you look at that scripture on the screen. Where is this land? Well, he says in the very first verse, I will show thee. <laughs> what is the point of my leaving my home and my family? My kindred, my country, I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great. But how will I survive? What will prevent other people and other tribes and other families from wiping me and my family out? Thou shalt be a blessing. That is, for your sake, I will bless the families and the people among whom you dwell, and they will see that they are blessed because of you. But what about those who don't understand this blessing, those who hate me anyway? Well, I'll bless those that bless you, and I'll curse him that curses you. But here in my country, I'm well known. If I leave here, my name and my posterity will be lost forever. No, God says, in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That is to say, not only will your name not be lost... But every nation will know your name and relate in some way to you because of your obedience to me through faith. I suppose you know that Islam claims Abraham. Judaism claims Abraham. And we Christians claim Abraham. There's nowhere in all of the earth that the name of Abraham 
is not known. Now, let me ask you this question. What is the greatest blessing that has ever come to the human race? What is the greatest and most unimaginable promise ever made? The greatest blessing promised is eternal life promised through the promised Messiah. You think about that. The promise is eternal life. You know the Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11 that God has put eternity in the hearts of all human beings. You know what that means? It means we all want to live and we want to live forever. Isn't that true? That is true. So we are promised eternal life through the promised Messiah. And who will this promised Messiah be? Well, all we have to do is just read the opening words of the very first book in the New Testament, the book of Matthew, to discover the answer. It begins this way. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The son of Abraham. The Messiah, whom we know as Jesus, is a descendant after the flesh, physically speaking, of Abraham. Thus, in Jesus, the son of Abraham, is fulfilled the promise to Abraham that in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. There are over 8,000 promises in the Bible. And every single one of them is in some way linked to Abraham and the promises made to him and fulfilled in Jesus the promised Messiah. Speaking of our Lord, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him are amen unto the glory of God by us. That is, Jesus Christ, the Christ, is the eternal yes of all of God's promises. The Bible says that the heavens are not clean in God's sight, and the stars are not pure in God's sight, and that He changes, He charges His angels with folly, and it asks this question, how then can man, who is a worm, born unclean, totally depraved, how can man be just with God? And the answer is through faith in Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. How do I know that? He promised. He promised. To those who turn to Christ, to those who turn to our Lord Jesus Christ and trust Him and call upon Him, He promised eternal life. And my friends, that's all I have. <laughs> and that's all you have. Is that promise in the Word of God. Guess what? That's all Abraham had. That's all Isaac had. That's all Jacob had. And that's all Joseph had. Listen to the last words of David just before he died. He said this. 
It's in 2 Samuel chapter 23. He said, God has made an everlasting covenant with me, an agreement that will not be broken, a promise that will not be changed. It is ordered in all things and sure, and this is all my salvation, and this is all I desire, and God will surely bring it to pass. 2 Samuel 23 and verse 5. David had the same thing we have. He had a promise from God. That's all he had. Now, what assurance did David have of these things? Just the Word of God. What if a man in prison, tell you what, why don't you go ahead and turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6, so you'll be ahead of me. What if a man in prison made you a promise? I doubt you'd believe him. I doubt you'd believe him. What if a man who was pardoned, he was a pardoned criminal, made you a substantial promise? Would you believe it? Moving up the ladder, what if a businessman made you a promise? What if the mayor of Franklin made you a promise? What if the governor of Tennessee made you a promise? What if a senator, a federal senator from Tennessee, what about the president of the United States, if he made you a promise, would you believe it? What about one of the billionaires, if they made you a promise of a million dollars, if you showed up at his office or her office on a certain day at a certain time, would you believe him or would you believe her? Now, do you see what I'm doing? The more important the person, the greater the station in life, the higher the office, the more likely we are to believe what is promised. Well, what if God made you a promise? Let's look at Hebrews chapter 6. Now, this book of Hebrews was written to some believers, mostly Jewish, who were leaving the faith of Jesus Christ and returning to Judaism. And the writer is encouraging them to continue in the faith in spite of ridicule, in spite of persecution, in spite of strong opposition. So let's begin in verse 4. In verses 4 through 6, Hebrews chapter 6, in verses 4 through 6, this is what he says. It is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they should fall away, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance, seeing they crucified themselves, the Son of God afresh, and put Him to an open shame. Now what he's saying here is this, if it's possible for a person to be lost after being genuinely and really saved, if it's possible for that person to be lost after they really saved, then that person's doom is sealed. He says the Son of God would have to come back down a second time and do again what He's already done in order for that person to be re-saved. Then verses 7 and 8, He gives this terrible warning. He, he says, He's comparing 
people to uh, desolate land. He said, uh, he says, if the earth once drinks in the rain that comes often upon it, brings forth herbs, meat for them by which it is dressed, receiving blessings from God, but that once bears thorns and briars is rejected, it's nigh to cursing whose end is to be burned. What does that mean? It means the Lord blesses the soil which drinks in the rain, and it grows plants to feed those who planted it and who cultivated it. But if it brings forth briars and thorns, it's rejected and it's probably going to be burned off. That's what he's saying. And this is meant to convey a message to those who take in the blessings of God, but they never think of praising the Lord or thanking Him for all His blessings or serving Him or trusting Him. Verse 9, he says, even though I'm speaking some pretty harsh things, verse 9, we are persuaded better things of you, beloved, and things that accompany salvation, though we are talking like this. He says, I'm not convinced that all of you are going to go back. I believe some of you are legitimate believers. And I believe that you will not abandon your faith. Then in verse 10, he assures them that the Lord will not forget them or their works done for his people in his name. And then verse 11, he encourages them, encourages them to continue trusting the Lord until the end of their lives. We desire that every one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. And then in verse 12, he doesn't want them to be spiritually lazy, but like those who through faith and patience inherited the things that were promised. And here he has in mind Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, those who persevered, who believed the promise and persevered until they inherited the promise. And now we're going to underscore what I've been saying. The greater the person, the greater the promise, and the more likely we are to believe what has been promised. So in verse 13, He says, when God made a promise to Abraham, he not only made a promise, but he swore to keep the promise. And he not only swore to keep the promise, he swore by the greatest possible thing he could swear by himself. He swore by his own name that he would keep his word to Abraham. Look at this. When God made promise to Abraham, verse 13, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. So in verse 14, let me ask you this. Any of you remember how old Abraham was when God first called him? He's 75 years old when God called him. 75. And uh, he kept telling them, I'm going to give you a son. That's the promised, the promised son. I'm going to give you a son. And Abraham waited about 10 years, and finally his wife Sarah said, Are you crazy? 
to use the common vernacular in Tennessee, ain't no way. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to have a child at 75. So she gave Abraham her maid, her Egyptian maid, Hagar. And Hagar had a son named Ishmael. Ishmael is the father of all the Arab races today. And so Abraham said, well, I guess this is it. God said, no, sir. You see, Abraham, no son counts that you have unless I give him to you. Now, that's something important to remember. I believe that as Christians and as witnesses, we ought to use every legitimate means. Legitimate. When I say legitimate, I mean biblical. Any biblical means we can use to witness to people, to be a testimony to people, to try to get them to hear the Word of God, to read the Word of God to them, to get them to come to worship. I think we ought to use every biblical means we can. But after we've done everything we can do, after we've gotten them to raise their hand and bow their knees and say a prayer after us, it does not count unless God is involved in it. It doesn't count. You can have a church full of people that you won, but that the Spirit of God did not win. And it only counts if God does it. And he said to Abraham, this boy doesn't count. And so when Abraham was 99 years old, God visited the camp. Most of you here know the story. And he said, at this time next year I will return, and Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah was in the tent, and she heard it, and she laughed, and she said, there's no way I'm having any children. And the Lord knew she laughed, and he said, why did Sarah laugh? And it scared her, and she said, oh, I didn't laugh. And the Lord said to her, yes, you did. And she named the boy, what's she naming? She named him Laughter. She named him Isaac, Isaac, which means to laugh. <laughs> and as I've said before, every time she called his name, she was reminded of her unbelief. She was reminded of her, her laughter. He was a son of promise. You see, when God does something, no man can do it. When God does something, you have to say, that was God that did that. You take a madman like Saul of Tarsus out killing Christians, and he's all of a sudden you find him preaching Christ, you have to say, God did that. God did it. And that's what I say about every one of you who are saved, God did it. He did it. You weren't saved by a man or by a church. You were saved by the Lord Himself. Your confidence is in Him, not in any person, any group, any church, or even in yourself. It's in Him. So notice again, verse 16, when a person makes a vow that must be kept, an oath is often used so that people will say, I mean what I say, I'm going to keep my promise, I'm going to keep my word. And that often people might swear by something or someone that's greater or that is dear to them. If any of you have watched any of the Godfather movies, you notice that Marlon Brando would say, I swear on the grave of my grandchildren. 
I swear on the grave of my children. When he said that, everybody said, boy, he's serious now. He said he's going to keep his word. But this is what the writer is saying here. Verse 17, look at this now. God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability, that means the unchangeableness of his counsel confirmed it by an oath, verse 18, that by two immutable, two unchangeable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. So what he says in verse 17 is, because the Almighty God wanted to make it abundantly clear to those to whom he had promised certain things that they could believe him, that he would never change his purpose, he would never take his word back, he added a vow to his promise. In verse 18 says, he swore by two immutable, two unchangeable things. What were those unchangeable things? Number one, he swore by his eternal counsel. You look at verse 17, God willing more abundantly to show unto theirs a promised immutability of his counsel. He swore by his eternal counsel. Whatever God has purposed, whatever God has purposed, I don't know everything God has purposed. I read a man years ago, it says, History is his story. Just add one S his story. That's what history is. I don't know what's included in the purpose of God. I know this. Whatever he has decreed, whatever he has purposed, whatever he has determined will be brought to pass. He's not going to change it. He's not going to say, oh, oh, I goofed up there. Back in 1865, I never intended for that to happen. No. So he swore by his eternal counsel, and number two, he swore by his word given with an oath. These two things, the writer says, makes it impossible for God to lie. He can't change what he's already purposed, and he won't change an oath that he gives in a promise. Now notice verse 19, the word from the Lord regarding his promises to those who believe it becomes an anchor to the soul. That's what he says in verse 19. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, sure and steadfast, which enters into that within the veil. I'll tell you what the veil is in just a moment. The veil was a curtain in the Holy of Holies that went into the place where God was. So he says, for those who believe God, it becomes like an anchor to your soul. Your boat can't drift. It might be tossed and turned. You might fall down on board a ship in the middle of the storm, but you won't be thrown overboard. And then he says in verse 20, through faith in these promises, we enter into the holy place, the very throne room of God, And there in that throne room we have a high priest 
who offered himself as our sacrifice and who presently intercedes for us. So in other words, when we believe God through faith in Christ, it's like we have a line that goes into heaven that is anchored to the very throne of God upon which sits our high priest who prays for us, who makes intercession for all those who come unto God by him. And when we know that, and when we believe that, we understand what that means, it, it, it keeps us from drifting. It keeps us from going back. Because we believe God. We believe He'll keep His promise. Now, one more thing. I want you to look back at verse 17. Let's read it carefully. I'm reading from the King James Version. That's why usually I like to put it up on the, on the board, so at least we're all in, this, in the same version. This is what it says in verse 17. God was willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. The persons he has in mind here are the heirs of promise. The heirs of promise. Now, I'm almost through, believe it or not. I want you to turn to the book of Galatians. Turn back to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. You see, I am not trying and never have tried to get people to do something for me or to do something for the church or to do something you know, we get you to raise your hand, we get you to come down an aisle, we get you to pray, we get you... I, I don't do that. And the reason I don't do it is because I'm not the Holy Spirit. And I don't read anywhere in the Scripture. I know that there are a lot of men, and they, they may be God's servants, they may be. It's not for me to, to judge that. But... They're always trying to talk people into something. And the old saying is, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. And if I can talk you into something, somebody else can talk you out of it. If I can just out-talk you, like I'm a salesperson trying to sell Jesus to you, somebody else can sell you on something else. But I'll tell you this, brothers and sisters, if the Lord God Himself reveals Himself to you and you're all of your hope and all of your trust and all of your confidence and all of your salvation is in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've got an anchor that's got a line that goes up to the very throne of God in heaven and He will not let you go. It's not a matter of you not letting Him go. It's a matter of He won't let you go. Yeah, praise the Lord. You know what? You know what you're worth? I don't like to brag on people. And I'm going to brag this morning. You know what you're worth? You're worth the price that was paid for you. That's what you're worth. The price, the Bible says in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, that you were purchased with the very blood of God. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. So whatever price was paid for you is what you're worth in the sight of God. 
Is the blood of Christ most precious to the Father? Of course it is. Therefore, those who are purchased with the blood of Christ are very precious in the sight of the Father. Precious in the sight of God is the death of the righteous, the Scripture says. You're under the precious blood of Christ. If you're trusting in the precious Messiah, you are precious to God. So I want you to remember now, don't forget this thought. He says here in Acts chapter 6, verse 17, he said, I'm writing, I have in mind here, the heirs of promise. I want you people who are the heirs of promise, those of you who have trusted in Christ, I want you to know that you are the heirs of promise. And I want you to know that in your heart of hearts, God will not cast you off. He will not change his mind. He will not kick you out. Didn't Jesus say, all that the Father gives me shall come to me? And him that comes to me I will in no wise cast out. That's what he said. So here's here's the question. Who are these heirs of promise mentioned in Hebrews 6.17. Well, we find the answer in Galatians chapter 3. This certain group of people, the heirs of promise. I'm going to read that 17th verse in the English version. Here's what it says. The King James says, God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. The English version says, to those who were to receive what he had promised, God wanted to make it very clear that he would never change his purpose. I don't see how it could be any clearer. So who are the heirs of promise? Who are the heirs of promise? Galatians 3 as the answer. If you missed the conference this week, you can get all of the messages on CD or DVD if you want them. They taught through the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, I asked this question, to whom were the promises made? Galatians chapter 3, look at verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He did not say seeds, which refers to many, but seed, which is one and refers to Christ. The promises that were made were made to the only faithful human being that's ever lived on planet earth, and that is the Son of God. He only has been faithful. You haven't been faithful, and I haven't been faithful. That's why we're always saying, Lord, forgive me. For the 999,000th time, forgive me for the same thing I asked you for yesterday. And He forgives us. He forgives us. Whoever confesses his sin, and by the way, that's got to mean more than you just remembering them, because I don't even remember all my sins, do you? I don't. I don't remember them all. You had offerings in the Old Testament that were for sins of ignorance when people sinned didn't even know their sin. But the blood of Jesus Christ covers all sins. I want you to realize that. I want you to know that. The only safe place on planet earth 
is in the Lord Jesus Christ. I think about those people down in Florida, 1.30 in the morning, sound asleep. Some of them could have been sitting outside looking at the stars and looking and all of a sudden, whoo! That building came down and they went out into eternity without time to get a suitcase or a toothbrush. Things happen, and they happen quickly. And it's best to be prepared. (laughs) Here's what it says in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16. It says, Now to Abraham, and the promises were made, and made to the seed of Abraham, which is Christ. Those promises were made to the faithful person who always pleased God, only of one person has God said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. So first of all, the promises were made to Christ. Secondly, the promises were made to the seed of Abraham, which is Christ, let's get that, and who is Christ the Messiah? He's Jesus, Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the Christ, the promises were made to him. So how do these promises made to the Messiah become mine? Well, here's the answer to that, Galatians chapter 3, down in verse 29, Galatians 3 and verse 29. If you be Christ, if you belong to Christ, If you are in Christ by grace through faith, then you're Abraham's seed and your heirs according to the promise. Now, I don't see how anything could be any clearer, my friend. I have a lot of good friends, a lot of good friends. And I mean, they are my friends and they are good friends. And they are concerned about uh, Israel after the flesh. And we ought to be as concerned about Israel as after the flesh as we are about the people that live next door to you after the flesh. Because listen to me, I don't know what God's going to do with Israel. But I know this, I know what He's going to do with people who won't have anything to do with His Son. And I'd, I'd just rather leave those things in the hands of God. All of these views, the premillennial view, the amillennial view, the postmillennial view, All those views are the aspects of men trying to interpret the Scripture. I don't have a millennial view. I just believe God, and I say whatever He wants to do is all right with me. That's what I say. But I know this. If I belong to Christ, Galatians 3.29, then He says, I'm Abraham's seed. And I'm an heir of the promise that God made to Abraham and to his seed, which is Christ. How do I know I belong to the Messiah? The only way I can know is I have believed his word. I have believed his promise. I have believed on him. I have come to him. I have bowed to him. I confess him as my Lord and my Savior. I love him above all else. But more importantly, he loves me. I'm glad I love the Lord, but it's not my love that makes a difference. It's his love for me. Doesn't the Bible say we love him because he first loved us? 
And as I often tell you, we call on him because he first called us. We seek him because he first sought us. Do the, do the sheep seek the shepherd or do the shepherd seek the sheep? Does the sheep call out for the shepherd? Where are you, Mr. Shepherd? Are you lost? I'm over here. No, it's the shepherd that calls the sheep. Is that right? That's exactly right. So what I want you to know is behind your salvation, am I ruling out your coming to Christ? Absolutely not. I think anybody who's ever saved must come to Christ, must believe on Christ. But what I'm telling you is behind your salvation is the grace of God, is the will of God, and the purpose of God. And I can't figure all that out, and I'm not trying to figure it out. I just know that Jesus Christ is my Savior. And if I know when I'm dying, I'm going to die believing that He died for me. You know, I hesitate to mention this, but my nephew that's here today, Jacob, his dad, Gerald, was a fine man, a fine man. He was a believer. He was a strong believer. And I got a picture of your dad was in, was in the hospital, had all those tubes in him, everything else. You know what he's doing? He's in that room. He was right in the middle of all that coronavirus. He was in the, the Methodist hospital in Houston, right in the middle of all that stuff. And they couldn't even go in to see him. But somebody sent me a picture, and it's a picture of Gerald in his bed with all these tubes in him. Right there in his lab, he's got his Bible that he's reading. What a testimony. What a testimony. And he didn't make it. The Lord took him. The Lord took him on to be with him. But I tell you what, in his last days, in his last moments, you know where his mind was, where his heart was. He was on the, the Lord that had made promises to him. And he believed those promises. Do you believe him? Do you believe him? Have you confessed him? As the hymn writer said, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. I wholly lean on Jesus' name. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. May the Lord add his blessings to his word. Let's stand together. Why don't you sing that with me a little bit? I don't know what key we're in. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. One more time. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. We're going to sing under the blood and then I'm going to dismiss you in prayer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Under the blood of Jesus 
Father, I call upon you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. Oh, how we plead with you to increase our faith, to strengthen our faith, to help us, Lord, that we might believe you and believe your promises and stand steadfast upon your word. We pray for our nation. We ask you to have mercy upon this nation which is fast forsaking the God who made it great. We have the promise in your word, all nations that forget God shall be turned into hell. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Save us for thy name's sake. Turn the hearts of the children to the fathers and the hearts of the fathers and the mothers to thee. Let us not go down into the pit of oblivion, cursing and swearing the God who gave his Son that whosoever believeth in him may not perish, but have everlasting life. Now I pray the blessings of God upon all of you through the blood of the everlasting covenant. May he make you perfect in every good work, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ our Lord, I pray for his sake I ask it. Amen. Amen.